When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. It's Tuesday, time for the VolQuest podcast, along with Grant Ramey, Brent Hubbs, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. Thank you for joining us here. Got a lot to discuss. Jerry Mack has left the program. He said it to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who could be his replacement? Uh, the preliminary hearing. It is today in Greenville, Tennessee. We'll preview that. The state of Tennessee versus the NCAA. Hoops loss at Texas A&M. Joe Kim Dotson commits to Tennessee. All that and more here today on the VolQuest podcast. And as always, couldn't do without our friends over Exterior Home Solutions. Uh, for a free estimate, give them a call today by picking up the phone and dialing 865-524-5888. You can visit them online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com as well. Local, trusted, since 1999, that is Exterior Home Solutions. Uh, let's start with the most uh, pressing matters, I guess, Brent Hubs. Uh, this morning, Tuesday, Tennessee and the, the state of Tennessee and the NCAA will meet in courts. And this is really when the dominoes get started in this whole saga, correct? Yeah, I mean, this is all about whether or not uh, where, where the injunction lies. Uh, is the state of Tennessee and the Attorney General going to win an injunction against the NCAA, or is it going to you going to lose that fight? Um, how quick we get a ruling on that, we'll see. Um, typically, these things don't last, you know, all day. Um, so, you know, this thing early afternoon, lunchtime, maybe, uh, maybe even sooner. We'll see. Uh, it feels like, and Lord knows I'm not a lawyer. I should have been, though. Did you see what the guy was making, like $2,400 an hour? Yeah. A billable hour of $2,400? I mean, that's Austin Price money right there. You yeah, you, I was going to say, you um, should have been a lawyer or AP. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I mean even, even, the, even like the clerk that works in his office is making $800 for a billable hour. You know? I mean, that's like two phone calls, and, and you've made 800 bucks. It's pretty good. Uh, so I don't know all the legalities uh, of – you know, and all the law stuff that's, you know, beyond sort of uh, my background, what I know, but it, it feels like it, if the injunction were won by the state of Tennessee, I think the NCAA is leaves. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's any pursuit of the, the university of Tennessee. If the injunction is denied, then it gets interesting to see where the NCAA wants to go where they want to go moving forward for me, Grant, because if they move forward in their pursuit against Tennessee, I, I do think you're going to see more lawsuits filed, right? I mean, this is the state of Tennessee, but I think then you would see Spire get involved with a potential lawsuit against the NCAA. The University of Tennessee could file a, a lawsuit against the NCAA. So the question I think becomes, what is the NCAA's next move if they were to win um, this injunction? And at the end of the day, do they think the long term they can win or is this an inevitable loss that's coming, whether that loss comes to the, to the state attorney general or whether that loss comes down the road uh, with the University of Tennessee? I, I think that's the, the curiosity part with the NCAA for me, Grant. 
this whole thing is uh, like a Michael Scott explain it to me like I'm five every time this situation comes up. Uh, but also at the same time, speaking of that $2,400 an hour, Hubs, after this call, we need to talk contracts um, <laughs> since I'm on here to discuss my legal analysis, my legal opinion. Um, I, I don't I don't know what to make of this kind of like what the what the step by step process is, I guess, from here. Um, I would be watching it closely if I was. How many schools are the NCAA, is, is the NCAA looking at at this point, Hubs? Have somewhere you, have between, you put that out there before? Yeah, we think somewhere between 12 and 20. Uh, in terms of specific schools that they are looking at for NIL practices. Now, we know Florida State, they've already ruled on uh, for, for that one. Um, but but I, I think just somewhere between 12 and 20, and I, I don't know exactly what the number might be in, in that deal. But, I, I mean, it feels like this is going to set some kind of precedent moving forward with how uh, – if, if they're going to go this route with everybody, if this is going to be a Tennessee thing, if Tennessee's going to win this thing – and and it's going to go a different way from there. Like, I, I don't know what to make of kind of where this goes from here, not only the step-by-step process, but the big picture of like how the NCAA operates and how they uh, go after other schools. If they go after other schools, I mean, Tennessee's getting the, the, you know, the, the names of the uh, people that have been represented by this attorney and the high powered stuff and, and the, the weight that he can throw around. I mean, it, it, it's insane that, how high profile it is, how big picture it is. Like they're, they're going, they're digging hills in and they're saying we can't lose this thing. Now, how does the NCAA, I guess, respond uh, depending on how this thing plays out? You know, Rob, I think it is, you know, everybody wants to go A to F, right. But based on what happens in Greenville, like if, if the injunction is granted, then there's going to be, you know, that's, that's the lowering of the coffin, if you will, of the NCAA. Like it's over. I think that's. I think that's not. I don't think you need to go that far. But but it does. I mean, it it will change the landscape of what they can pursue and what they can't pursue in regards to NIL and how that goes about, which um, is a step towards w- what the long term future looks like for for the NCAA. I, I just. I don't know that today ends it all, uh, but but today is a potentially altering day for NCAA governance. It feels like. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I, today's not going to be the like like you said, Hubbard. It's not going to be the final nail in the coffin or whatever. In my opinion, I know, I could be wrong. I don't have a crystal ball, but when 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 somebody writes the book on how the NCAA lost college football, the, the, this will be a chapter. I mean, this will this this will be part of, this will be part of that story. I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna be the end all be all tomorrow. But th- this will be a it will be more than a footnote. I, this will this will be a chapter. I think of how the NCAA, you know, lost control of you know the cash cow. It'll be an early chapter because it it'll feel like how the NCAA painted itself into a corner here because yeah. of how they handled it out of the gate and now how they're going back and trying to handle it, uh, you know, whatever, how many, however many years later it's been. Yeah. And, and I think the fascinating part, Eric, too, is when you look at this thing, if it, let's say the injunction is denied, okay. And, and quote, the NCAA wins. Then if you're the NCAA, you've got a real decision do you that, that you have to make. Are you angry and are you digging your heels in and saying, we're going to fight every school out there that's on our list 
knowing that the attorney general of all those states might file the same type of lawsuit against us? Or do we go in kind of the direction that Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, has talked about? And that is, let's quit worrying about individual cases of the past and let's look forward and come up with some parameters to try to reshape enforcement in the NCAA and come up with, with some kind of working um, platform, working rules for governance moving forward with everything that has changed. I think that is going to be, would be a fascinating decision um, as well. Uh, probably either way, if the, if the injunction is granted or not, but I, I think either way coming out of today, the NCAA has a pretty interesting decision to make about how they're going to pursue moving forward. Yeah, I mean, how serious are you about making a certain university a poster child? How serious are you about making somebody an example? How much money do you have and how much time do you have? We know the NCAA has all the time in the world right now, right? Because it feels like they don't do much of anything. How much money do you have? Do you want to continue to go to court after court after court? And depending on you know some of these outcomes, if you win this outcome, does it give you more confidence that you win other outcomes if you know the attorney generals were to file suit? Um, it'll be interesting. Um, I think everybody would want to move towards the bigger picture and kind of reshaping the, that 437-page manual that has been referenced several times over the past couple of weeks, filled with you know vague language and uh, changing narratives and, and, and guidance and all that. I think everybody would want to point towards the bigger picture, but you're right. I think this will be really interesting if the NCAA wins today what its next move is and if it doesn't win today more than anything if it's going to stay away from tennessee so uh looking forward to following your coverage brent hubs on your myspace page i know you're going to live stream that so we'll be checking that out and uh when we're done watching that it'll all be over at volquest.com i'm kidding by the way no, I, well I, I just think it's guys i just think it's pretty fascinating and, and again um I, i'm not picking on i'm not picking on anybody um you know I, i'm not I mean, I was in Cincinnati, and when you look at the body of makeup that, that is on some of these committees and some of the things that come through, it just doesn't feel like some of those personalities, Rob, have any real concept of what the school level is going through, particularly when you're talking about the Power 5, Power 4, Power 2, whatever we're going to call that thing now. Right. SEC Big Ten, I guess, is what we're supposed to call it. And everybody else's little brother. But they don't have an understanding of the day to day things that that takes place at that level. And, and I think that that's that's why you see the SEC and the Big Ten creating this advisory council committee, whatever we're supposed to call it, because somebody's got to get in the room and go, guys, these are the problems we're dealing with. These are the things we're dealing with. And they're different than a lot of other people who are members of your insta, you know, member institutions of, of you guys. I mean, I think it's, it's a long time coming as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, at a, at a micro level, it's the same thing. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm not you know, mentioning names, but it's the same thing, you know, at, at on the, on the micro level locally, when, you know, Josh Heupel and Rick Barnes sit in and, and with, with Danny White and, and the track and field coach and the softball coach and, you know, the the same logistics don't apply, you know, across those sports. The same way they don't apply, Hubbard. What you're talking about with with Coppin State doesn't have the same, you know, concerns as as Michigan or Ohio State or Tennessee. 
and I, I, I applaud Greg, Greg Psyche, you know, for that. I mean, because it really, I mean, it's apples and oranges. It's ridiculous that, you know, the, the athletic director at Kenyon college or whatever, you know, sits on a, a committee that makes any kind of a decision about what might happen to USC or Oregon or, or Texas. It's, I mean, I, it's, it's a long time coming in my opinion. Well, and it, and it's here because Grant, I think the separation of it is greater than it's ever been with NIL. We know NIL is why we're here anyway. Well, but, and the college football playoff, I think. Yeah. Whatever, I mean, it's there. Just, yeah. It's, it's, you've created this level of separation um, because of the finances that are now legalized. Okay. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the things, it's not even just cop and state, but some of the things, a conference USA or an AAC school deals with versus the big 10 and the SEC are just, or, just or looking at you Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, just, just totally different. It's always been haves and have nots. And now it's just a spotlight is on the haves and have nots and the, the separation and the, the distance between the two and, and the stuff that was under the tables over the table. And, you know, everybody's just talking about the stuff that has always kind of gone on. So it's, you have to expedite this process of, you know, everybody's not going to play by the same rules because everybody's in different situations. And like y'all are talking about, it. the cop and state's not uh, in the SEC and not dealing with the SEC and the Power Five problems and stuff like that. So you got to figure out those solutions and expedite that process because this this process has been expedited the last couple of years now, where it's just rushed into this name, image, and likeness, and players getting paid and pay for play and all this stuff and and collectives and everybody's trying to figure it out all at once. And it's just it's hard to I guess for everybody to keep pace and to have regulations or no regulations or uh, try to figure out how to get your hands around this thing and, and move forward with it as quickly as everything else is developing around it. Today's a big day. We'll see what happens. Say Tennessee going up against NCAA. Will Tennessee need to put Bill Burke, who's on retainer right now, in a separate lawsuit to work? Will Spire Sports need to utilize Tom Mars in a separate lawsuit, uh, who, of course, he's representing the, you know, the collective side of things, the agency side of things, in a separate lawsuit. We will see. A lot of it will depend on what happens today. And Brent Hubs will have full coverage over at VolQuest.com uh, throughout the morning and uh, afternoon, and of course, afterwards to tell you exactly what has happened. Um, other big news for Tennessee football program. Running backs coach Jerry Mack has left the program, and he is headed to the NFL, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Had to sit down with Austin Price. A lot of good things to say about his three seasons with Josh Heupel here in Knoxville and at the University of Tennessee. But that does create... A hole in the coaching staff, Brent Hubbs. What is Tennessee losing in Jerry Mack? And who could be some names? I know uh, it's hot board season. We had a, a post up there at VolQuest.com yesterday. Who could be some names that Tennessee looks into filling that role? Well, let's, let's, let's talk first about Jerry Mack. I mean, yeah. Jerry Mack, when he arrived at Tennessee three years ago, nobody knew who he was, right? I mean, it's just, uh, okay, they hired a running backs coach who's got some head coaching experience, you know, at the, at the HBCU level. Uh, he's been a coordinator. Here he is now as a running backs coach at Tennessee. Um, and, okay, what is the guy? After you spend some time with him, um, veteran, I think it's pretty clear he was a calming influence, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think Jerry Mack had a lot of bad days, you know. I think he was pretty unemotional in, in terms of how he went about, you know, his business and, and carried things. And his room got better, and he managed a room you know, which is not the easiest room to manage, you know, with, with, with three running backs who are 
who were effective and, and productive. I, I think Jerry Mack did a really nice job at Tennessee. It was pretty clear in his quotes to Austin how much he enjoyed his time at Tennessee. And, and I think Jerry Mack was a really it was a really solid hire by Josh Heupel, uh, who did a lot of good things. And I think that kind of his presence and veteranness, if you will, will be missed, you know, within the football program on that offensive side of the ball. Because again, I, I don't think I don't think Jerry's blood pressure ran very hot, even on game day, right? Yeah, and, and it feels like you know even more so than the you know the calming presence and uh, what he did with the group of running backs. Rob, um, he was a willing recruiter. I mean, he was one of these guys that were you know go getter that that would you know spend the time, call, develop relationships, and and that's such a big aspect of you know coaching the college game. Of course, he's not going to have to do that specific part of it anymore with Jacksonville, but he was a well-rounded coach. And again, uh, as Brent Hub said, former head coach, a nice resource to have on staff, but more so than anything, developed these guys and was the leader of a really productive unit each of the past three seasons. I mean, look at those running back stats, man. I mean, a lot of that goes to the offensive line as well, but um, they've done a really, really great job under Josh Heupel and led by Jerry Mack the past three years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think anybody that dealt with him, and we all we all did, you know, pretty consistently since since he got here, just I mean, what, what Hubbard said, I, I think, you know, kind of, sums up my take on Jerry just you know not a guy that just got all hyped up I mean somebody that I, I would imagine was pretty good to have in a foxhole you know with you on on, on game day that you know, when, when it's a hundred two thousand decibels all around you he, he just seems like a guy who, who would you know have a pretty steady voice in the headset you know right there that, that we're looking at on game days and and, and Eric like you're just talking about a, a really productive unit i mean ever, ever since you know josh got here without you know not you know obviously jalen wright had a great career but tennessee hasn't had had any stud you know recruit running backs I mean, i guess what was dylan sampson maybe a four-star somewhere he was a four-star but i mean he wasn't here like and there a, no he, yeah. yeah he wasn't like a, a you know blue chip you know top top 50 running back or you know, top 50 prospect i mean and tennessee has been really productive at the running back spot and you know some of that's certainly josh's offense but you know jerry i, I, I think deserves some credit for what they have done at, at you know in the run game. I thought I thought it was equal parts talent and depth because it felt like there was never any fall off or, or much of a fall off if it was Jalen Wright in the game or if it was Jabari Small in the game or if it was Dylan Sampson in the game. And it felt like with each passing year, each of those guys, it felt like progress was being made and they were a little bit better than uh, the previous the previous year what they saw from me. I mean Jalen Wright made a huge jump and Dylan Sampson Looked good as a freshman. He looked good. Uh, he looks like he's making jumps as well. So I think it's you. You know what you're getting in those running backs. They're gonna they're gonna do pass pro. They're gonna catch the ball in the backfield if they need to. They're gonna put their foot in the ground. They're gonna get upfield. And, and they were just tough runners. I thought Jalen Wright was uh, way tougher of a runner than I ever expected him to be. I think Dylan Sampson's the same way. He's not the biggest guy. He's obviously known for his speed and shiftiness, but I think he's tough as well. I think I think that's what impressed me about his group was how. The talent was there, but it was quality depth, and you, you knew what you are getting regardless of who was in the game. Hey, Eric, you asked about, you know, po possible candidates out there, um, and, and we did put out a, a hot board initially, and, and we'll see. I'm sure it'll, it will evolve, and names will come up, names will drop off. You know, the first thing Tennessee fans is, are they going to promote from within? Because that's what Josh Heupel's done. Um, when, when you look at um, the hires he's made, Joey Halsley ascends to the OC spot, Alec Ablin goes to tight ends, Kelsey Pope goes to wide receiver. Doesn't feel like that's going to be the case right now. If there's a candidate in-house 
Um, I guess Max Thurman would be the possible candidate, but he's not worked with running backs and doesn't feel like that's the kind of the direction that it's going to go. So if you're going outside, then you start looking for guys with ties out there and some guys that, that might make sense. You know, Matt Merritt was here for a year. Um, then he was with Golish at South Florida. He's just taken a job at Miami. You know, he has moved a lot in a short period of time. I'm not sure he wants to make another move, you know, to be at four places in less than four years. I'm not sure that that's what you want on your resume. We'll see. I mean, most running back coaches are, are making a half million dollars plus a year uh, is where salaries have gotten to for a, for an established, you know, um, division one running backs coach. Now, I don't think Matt Merritt's going to make that at, at Miami, but if you look at some of the other guys out there that's possible, then, then I think you're looking at five to $600,000. I think the other thing you have to consider guys, if you're Josh Heupel in this deal, where, where is that coach in terms of understanding NIL managing that part of it? I mean, we, we, you know, we all want to go look at, you know, who's got the best recruiting resume, but the re recruiting resume from five years ago, seven years ago, is a very different resume than what it what it needs to be right now, right? I mean, somebody who was a great recruiter, you know, in 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 2010, that doesn't make them a great recruiter in 2014 because you're having to deal with different things. So I think that's a question in the interview process that you weren't asking the last couple of years, but where this thing is going with NIL. Rob, I think that's a question you have to ask if you're the head coach right now. You better have a – this guy better be on board and better understand not only dealing with it in the recruiting process but also how to manage it in, in your meeting rooms uh, and that type of thing. And I think that's something that you you better you better get a good answer on and better have a good handle on if you're Josh Hype and you're making a hire here. Yeah, man, I, I think that's a really, you know, kind of fascinating thing to understand. And if you're a young coach – that, and you can really educate yourself, you know, on, on all those angles. You can, you know, probably separate yourself in the marketplace. And I would add that it's just a coincidence that Austin is not on the podcast today and Tennessee has an opening on staff. <laughs> That's just, and, just and he's also more of a wide receiver guy, I, I think, <laughs> if you're talking about, you know, skill sets that he's going to catch. But anyway, but anyway, I mean, Hubs, I mean, in all seriousness, you, I mean, you're right. I mean, a guy that, you know, ten, you know, in, in 2010, 14 years ago, might have been an, an ace recruiter. I mean, it's, it, the landscape has totally changed. I mean, totally changed. I mean, if you if you can't go in and talk to mom and dad, and you know, and you know, the high school coach, and and you know, whoever else, you know, really about what what's out there in the NIL landscape at, at your program at your your university, I mean, you're immediately behind the eight ball because I mean, as we all know, I mean, that's you know, kids and parents you know, might poo-poo it and downplay it. But when they come on an official visit, that is a huge part of, of what they want to learn about. And, well, they're a lot more, yeah, they're a lot more interested in the NIL landscape than they are in what the nutrition bar looks like. And where the library is, you know, yeah. where, you know, that's just, that's just the reality. And that's what all these declarations are stating right now. And then on top of that, Grant, you have to manage it with your current players because you're having to re-recruit oh, your yeah. roster. You're trying to keep a room happy, not only with the amount of carries they get, but rumblings of what player X might be getting in NIL versus player Y. And how do you how do you not let that become the, the issue in your room? So those are things that change, that are changing. And I think that's why if you're Josh Heupel and you're making this higher here, you have to go, 
I would go with someone who has, um, who's who has, if I can get them, who has the experience at a place, you know, where they're managing that stuff right now. You know, I, I mentioned Carlos Loxlin, uh, who's a running back coach at Oregon. That doesn't seem necessarily realistic, although he's got total ties to the South and total ties to to Tennessee. So would he be interested in leaving the West coast and an Oregon program? That's obviously really good. Uh, but, but is the Oregon program going into a new conference? You know, is that somebody that there might be some interest in there? Um, you know, Anthony Jones is a high profile running backs coach from TCU. Again, some state of Tennessee ties, some Memphis ties there. Larry Porter's been in the SEC from North Carolina. Um, you know, Jones has coached at the, that there. Jones, the TCU coach, he's coached in Memphis at the high school ranks. He was at Cordova. He understands the state of Tennessee a little bit. He's had a good spot, you know, at TCU. They're paying pretty good money there. Um, so we'll see. Uh, you know, Porter's name's going to show up because he's a veteran guy with SEC experience. You know, maybe he's a factor, but maybe he's, I mean, he's been with Mike Brown so long. I'm not sure if he wants to make any kind of move at, at that point. Um, you know, then Derek Foster's and, you know, in the NFL would put his name on there because he's got some ties to Tennessee. He's been a year in Knoxville with Brandon Staley and, and Derek Hansley. But if you're an NFL guy, do you want to jump back into the college ranks, even though he's been a college coach? I mean, I think Jerry Max going to the NFL ranks because it, he wants to coach football and not deal with Man. some of the other things that we're talking about all the time. So, um, this will be an interesting hire and, and um, we'll, we'll see what direction Josh Heupel goes with this thing. Uh, here in the coming days and weeks. Typically, Josh Heupel doesn't work real, real fast on this, but you got spring practice starting in a month, so I think he's going to work pretty quickly You know, this month while, while there's no recruiting really to deal with. Brent, I, I know that this will not be the end-all, be-all, but um, a couple of those names that you put on your you know hotboard version 1.0 did have ties specifically to Memphis in the Memphis area. Jerry Mack recruited Memphis very well. Um, any, any correlation in, in that, or was it just a, um, just a situation where it kind of matched up and where it's just ironic that the bluff city has, apparently you got to, to be a good running backs coach. You got to, you got to make your way through Memphis in some capacity. You got to work at the university, work at a high school there, play out there. It's just, I mean, you know, you, when you do these things, you start to look for ties and I know everybody's going to mention, you know, Montario Hardesty's name, you know, that's a former Tennessee player. I, I don't know where he's at. I don't think Jay Graham's coming back into the power five world. I don't think that's a possibility. Um, you know, so you start looking for other ties to Tennessee and you, you start looking and there've been a handful of guys who have passed through Memphis who were, who were high profile, pretty high profile, well-respected, you know, running backs coaches out there. So, you know, I don't know who all Josh Heupel is going to talk to. That's the one interesting thing with Heupel guys is his, you know, and again, part of it's because of experience, but also it's a little bit of personality. I mean, you got you got the Deacon basketball coach who's been coaching for however many decades now. You know, he, he talks to ten head coaches a week, right? And and that's the basketball world. The football world, you kind of in your own little family tree of coaches, and it doesn't really get broadened out that much more. So, who all does Josh Heupel know? Who does he have ties to? that you can get in the door with and, and get an interview with somebody and kind of see where they're at. You know, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I mean, so we'll, we'll see what, what that may or may not look like here in the coming weeks. I don't, well, I, I don't think you, I don't think you set up to say they got to have a Memphis guy. It's just ironic that there's a yeah. handful of high profile coaches who have passed through the city of Memphis in some capacity, Grant. 
Hubs, no offense, but the the real Bluff City's in the Tri Cities area. Yeah, you said Bluff City. I immediately thought of uh, you know around Blountville there and and Kingsport and whatnot. I'm not well liked up there. I I misspelled Greenville's name and and the war room. So I mean, I'm probably we don't we don't. Tri-City's claim Greenville. I know, but it's, well, we're going to Upper East Tennessee. I'm probably going to have to take some Butch See, Jones security to, to the courthouse. You now know? you're lumping them all in together, and now everybody's going to be mad. Now I'm making it worse, right? I apologize. You're digging in deeper. Okay. I'll, I'll spend all Grant, my time in the house. Hubbard thinks all the Tri-Cities look alike. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Get so Get me out of this, Eric. Go, this will be the fourth change on Josh Heupel's initial coaching staff. Alex Golish left. Uh, Cody Burns left. You had um, uh, who was the other one? No, this will be the third. Yeah, Jerry Mack's the third, correct? Yeah, you, well, Jerry Mack, you had um, Burns um, and Golish. And, and Golish and, yeah, and, so this will be the third. And, 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 and kind of makes a statement about what it's like to work for him. You, you yeah. had two guys left for the NFL and, and one guy left to be a head coach. Yeah, and yeah. to me, the biggest surprise out of all of that is if you would have told me, you know, year one, where's where's Josh Heupel going to deal with turnover on his staff, I would have said defense. Because, you know, they go fast, they put the defense in a bad situation, this reputation that it's, you know, it's it's tough for a defensive coach to have success, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, and, and the defensive staff to this point has obviously stayed intact and has done a really good job. And, um He's not lost coaches on offense because of disgruntledness. They've just had an opportunity to elevate themselves to a, to a better position uh, for themselves personally than, than what they previously had. So um says a lot about this, the health of the program. I do think that, Rob. I think you're right. Knock I, on wood. Uh, <laughs> yes, knock on wood. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking we'll that looks like after an injunction and a trust yeah. lawsuit case. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was thinking this will be the fourth change because there's been three – positional changes on the offense side, but Halsley was already here. Nonetheless, uh, we'll track it all of allquest.com. Who's Tennessee's run- next running backs coach going to be? Uh, we will continue to look into that as the week goes on with spring practice just over a month away. Hey, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Juwan Jennings, Trey Smith, making Tennessee proud in Super Bowl 58 and a Tennessee basketball loss on the road. What's this mean moving forward? All that and more coming up next as we continue on with the Volquest podcast. But first, a word from our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. Your roof, it's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solution. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Exterior Home Solutions, local trust since 1999. That phone number again is 865 524 
58-88. All right, guys, Super Bowl 58 had a Tennessee flair. Of course, Trey Smith and the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, but there for a little bit there, Rob Lewis, I mean, Juwan Jennings was poised to be Super Bowl 58 MVP. He threw a touchdown. He caught a touchdown. Uh, he was just making play after play. What a performance there from Juwan Jennings, who I believe entered the game having just one touchdown reception on the season. Maybe maybe none. Anyway, he's not been he, he's never been the big huge receiving targets for San Francisco, but he's made a difference throughout the season. Of course, third and Jawan, uh, but what a, what a, what a show from him in the Super Bowl, albeit he did lose. Yeah, I mean, just really happy for him. And I think anybody that dealt with Jawan, you know, from as a high school recruit or, you know, a college player, you know, just always you know, probably probably left left a, a Juwan interview usually with a smile on your face. Or, and, you know, I remember him, you know, obviously from the Georgia game, you know, the, the Hail Mary. He's, he's a kid that, you know, not a kid, a young, a young man now that, that Tennessee fans will always remember fondly. But, man, just – the, the joy he plays with, the edge that he plays with, you know, at a position that is, you know, not known for physicality or edginess necessarily. I mean, it, really, it would have been if he could have, if, if San Francisco could have won and Jawan would have won the MVP, it would have been the most Jawan thing ever, you know, for him to be the MVP of the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was. It, it was a show, Brent Hubbs. It was a throwback to, you know, the quarterback threw it to him. He didn't throw it back to the quarterback, but he threw it to Christian McCaffrey. It's like we've seen that play before in the Swamp back in 2015. Yeah, the thing I like about Juwan Jennings, Grant, I mean, Juwan's done one thing, and, and he's always bet on himself. He's always believed in himself, and he's always he's always survived because of who he is and who and who he who what he's about and his mental makeup and and his competitiveness and. You know, he goes into this offseason now as a free agent. It's going to be interesting to see where San Francisco is on the cap and, you know, what options are out there available for him and what does he want to look at. Um, I bet he was not on anybody's real thought process uh, before before the Super Bowl. But not only did he have the catches that he had, Grant, but, I mean, th they were going to him the last two possessions of the game to try to win the Super Bowl. That's where the football was going, and uh, if they could have blocked Chris Jones, he'd have got the last one, and, and they would have won the Super Bowl. But in, in over, you know, we had a chance to win it in overtime um, because the Chiefs would have gotten the ball. Um, I did learn those rules. I'm not sure all the 49ers do those rules in, in overtime in playoff games, but just happy for Juwan because he's a guy who's always bet on himself. And it, it's easy to forget. I mean, San Francisco, a they drafted him in the seventh round. And seventh round draft picks are basically viewed as nothing. I mean, they're they're thrown into trades all the time. Guys get drafted there and they get cut immediately. Jawan got cut, uh, yep. waived, I guess. I, I don't yep. I don't remember the exact term, but it was a few months after getting drafted, and then they they signed him back to a futures or reserve deal or whatever. And I think it was January 2021, and he had five touchdowns as a rookie. I don't only had a couple touchdowns, uh, one each, I guess, the last two years, at least the last two regular seasons. And there he is going off in the Super Bowl. I mean, that that's. Guys that that put in the work, you know that stuff comes back to them. And I think that's that's Jawan Jennings. I think that's Trey Smith. I mean, think about it. Jawan's pick number two seventeen overall. Trey Smith is the sixth round pick two hundred something. Um, that's why those franchises are in those kind of games because they evaluate talent and they get value in the draft and they find those guys that are character guys that are guys you want in your locker room guys that are you know you're, you're third and Jawan. that's a, that's a pretty crazy nickname when he's he's not he's like the fifth or sixth guy that you had mentioned even at wide receiver for the or uh, targets for brock purdy in, in san francisco and for trey to deal with, deal with what he dealt with 
um, to come back from that, to, to just go from that six round pick to straight into uh, starting on the offensive line for, for the, for the best franchise in football right now, a dynasty and to win back to back Super Bowls. Um, it's crazy to watch that story unfold. It's crazy to think that's a six round pick and a seventh round pick as those guys are, are starring in that Super Bowl moment. And I'm just a little bit bitter that I, I wrote a Jawan Jennings wins the Super Bowl MVP and, Patrick Patrick Mahomes gets in the way like he always does. <laughs> that, that's I'm just bitter. I'm bitter we didn't get Juwan on the stage with Jim Nance post game. Is what I'm bitter yes. about because yeah. that that one could have that one for all of us has covered him. That one would have been fun to watch. Grant, what you're really bitter about is you just you just talked about like some amazing NFL stories and and like it could not be more unrelatable to the Chicago Bears franchise. <laughs> I was I was sitting there thinking yeah. last night. Uh, I'm I'm about to tweet a picture. Of Mitch Trubisky next to Patrick Mahomes and say who's and and, and say who's got more Super Bowl losses now? <laughs> Zero, baby. Zero. I remember Kyle Shanahan said after Jawan Jennings, you know, after they drafted him, of course, but you know, speaking on Jawan Jennings four point seven time in the forty yard dash at the NFL combine, said speed can be deceiving. And we know Jawan's game and we know how he's carved out a role with the 49ers in the years, you know, since and you know, he's a great blocker, um, great blocker. He's a guy on third down you look to go to. He's a possession-type receiver. He can go and just make a play. You can utilize him in different spots. And um, I just – I remember the NFL Combine and how he just did not have a good day. And then seeing how close he was to winning a Super Bowl last night, being Super Bowl MVP, and, of course, everything he's done in the league since, just couldn't be happier for the guy who – and I know everybody's already heard this stat, but I just think it's hilarious. The highest-ranked quarterback out of high school in the Super Bowl – did indeed throw the first touchdown pass in the Super Bowl earlier this week, so I think that's neat. And the then, best, go ahead. The best, the best Shanahan quote about uh, Juwan Jennings. I looked it up last night. I think it was like January 2022 or something. He said he plays about 95 percent blacked out, and like that makes complete sense to Tennessee yep. fans. Like you, no further explanation yep. needed. They watched yep. it. They watched it every snap of his career, and that's what made him Juwan Jennings. Well, and I remember, I remember after he. Threw the kid into the in the playoffs into the water cooler. Yep. You know the quote from Shanahan is like, "Yeah, we we see it every day. You know, we our, our guys <laughs> on the team had to understand that's how he plays, and we tried to tell him to, you know, kind of be smart. But like, if you're going to go blocking him in practice, he's going to come block you. That's that's what you're going to get. So we're not really surprised by what took place there because that's just a normal practice day. Which again, and that that's Juwan. That, that always, in my mind, was the biggest compliment to Brew McCoy is he had that 15 jersey on. He reminded me you of Jawan seeking out contact and trying no. to set a physical tone. like that. That's a, that's a great compliment for a football player. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, we'll move on here in a second. But then in Trey Smith, you know, back-to-back Super Bowl rings. He was a six-round pick. Obviously, just the medical concerns. He would have gone, you know, way higher if, if, if he didn't have any of those concerns entering the uh, – uh, the draft uh, process, Rob, but the enforcer is what they call him on the offensive line for, you know, Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, it's really cool. I mean, again, good kid, great with all of us throughout his time at Tennessee, a role model, a guy that's fought through adversity, um, even, again, being a six-round pick when he was undeserving of being that late, and now he's a back-to-back Super Bowl champion. Um, really, just really, really cool to see and a, good, a great ambassador for the University of Tennessee. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I mean nobody, I don't think anybody that Hubbard, I mean, <laughs> you 
you dealt with a million kids. I, I don't think anybody that dealt with Trey Smith ever has well, ha, had a bad word to say about him from the time he was 16 or 17 years old till now. I mean, just a really easy guy to root for. You know, obviously, you know, came to Tennessee was, you know, and already had endured some tragedy as a child, you know, losing his mother and just was a guy who was, I just, I just remember the first moment I've ever talked to him or met him is I just thinking how mature he was as at a, at a very young age. And then, you know, came, came to Tennessee when he could have gone anywhere in the country at a time when, you know, Tennessee was, was not great at all. And I, and I think, you know, really, you know, because of that, earned a lot of love and respect from Tennessee fans, you know, for, for turning down Ohio State, Alabama, you know, at a time when he could have, you know, gone somewhere and, and chased national titles when, when, frankly, Tennessee wasn't close to doing that. Yep, and a guy, and again, who, who just fought his way through. And uh, I think the medical team at Tennessee did a great job with him. He'll tell you that. He'll give a lot of praise to that. He landed in a great situation in Kansas City, but you got to go earn it. And Eric, he's gone and earned it from every opportunity he's had. He's gone out and, and earned it. And as a result, he's got, you know, two rings and um, a, a second NFL contract coming down the pike at some point. It's going to be pretty doggone lucrative for sure. Yeah. I, I never I never talked to uh, Trey during the recruiting process. Here's my, la- my lasting impression of Trey Smith. When he signed, they talked in the locker room for whatever reason, a bunch of the, the new signees. Um, and I went and talked to Trey during that scrum. And I, I mean, you would have think you would have thought he was a three-star, no name, who was just happy to be there. Like in terms of just humble, genuine, head screwed on straight, down to earth. I mean, that that's probably the single most impressed I've ever been. Just meeting somebody, talking to a, a player, uh, in terms of what y'all are talking about, that maturity and just that that humbleness that he had. Knew that there were two VFLs in Super Bowl 58 earlier this week, but didn't know that Tennessee would have such a theme in the Super Bowl. But it's great to see again. Juwan Jennings came oh so close to winning a Super Bowl, being MVP. But Trey Smith did win a Super Bowl back-to-back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Congratulations to both of those guys um, moving forward. Can't wait to see what they can do. All right, we got a few minutes left. Do you want to touch on basketball? Obviously, Rob Lewis, it was not a good day for Tennessee and College Station over the weekend. 85-69, to the final score. Uh, Tennessee... You know, A&M came out shooting lights out from three. Tennessee didn't shoot that well. Um, A&M's a really good rebounding team. Tennessee was uh, beat on the boards. A number of different areas, not good at the free throw line. I know Rick Barnes, you know, made mention of that in post game, But a loss to where losses happen in college basketball. I mean, look at Auburn on the road at Florida. Look at just around the country. But really, just the way Tennessee lost, it was, it was just not a good look, I, I would say, here from Knoxville. Yeah, and, and Grant, I'll get your take. I'm just, to me... I, I and you know every fan's going to have a different take, and if you, if you have a different opinion, fine. To me, it's just one of those nights on, on the road in, in college basketball. I mean, the, you just the simplest thing that I look at: Texas A&M made eight, eight out of sixteen threes in the first half. I mean, they 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 make six a game. They're the worst three point shooting team in the SEC by a pretty wide margin. And and you know they shot the lights out. And you know Tennessee didn't do anything good in that game. But again, that, to me. I don't push the panic button. I just, I, I think it was a perfect storm. A good team that's underachieved in Texas A&M played at home, really needed, desperately needed a win. I mean, you see it a lot in college basketball. You know, Tennessee got to bounce back. They, they showed some, you know, maybe some some warning signs you want to look at. But to me, I just, one game, one horrible game, and, you know, I, I, I rinse and, and move on. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you got out coached, you got out played. I mean, Buzz out schemed them and, and had a good game plan on both ends of the floor. They made shots. That was the biggest difference. Uh, and and at home, when you're desperate and you're making those shots, it's a big deal. It's easy to feel like the sky is falling when you get down 22 at Texas A&M, a, a kind of a 500 level basketball team in the SEC. But um, I mean, you look at the kind of what the the effect it has on you. You go from maybe the number five overall seed in the NCAA tournament to the number six overall seed. Like I don't, I'm not sure Tennessee's a number one seed. I don't think I'd want to be a number one seed if I was Tennessee. But they're still in great position. I mean, you're you're five weeks out, and you're still talking about being a top six overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Like you're going to be high on that number two seed line if things go the right way. Um, so they're in a good spot. No, I don't think it's panic button time. I don't think it's anything overwhelming. You showed up, and, and Texas A&M had a better game plan, a better execution. They made more shots than you did. They defended better than you did. Um, that happens on the road in college basketball sometimes. There's a lot of teams around the country, uh, 10, 11, 12 range that lost on Saturday. So you, you kind of chalk it up to it is what it is. A&M comes back to Knoxville in a couple weeks, and we'll see what that game looks like on Tennessee's home court and how Tennessee adjusts to A&M. Uh, but Tennessee better go to Arkansas on Wednesday night and figure out a way to win a basketball game and then uh, come back home for Vanderbilt on, on Saturday and try to reestablish a little bit of momentum. Grant and Robert, let, let me ask you both this. Um, I, I think we all know, that we, we, we've said it for weeks, Dalton Connect's not going to score 30 a night every night, right? That's going to happen. You're going to have guys who have some struggle nights, don't put up great numbers. So how big of it is that you've got some guys who – have been inconsistent on offense, you know, kind of disappeared at times offensively versus, A, they've been out-rebounded the last two games. I think they've given up 46 offensive rebounds the last three games versus giving up straight-line drives to, to the rim, which has freed up some three-point opportunities and also caused some some issues defensively, particularly in the middle of the floor. Of those three things, what, what jumps out at you as – most needed to be fixed, most realistic to fix, biggest concern. I mean, I'll, I'll like, I mean, I'll be interested to see what Grant says. To me, I mean, Tennessee was almost halfway through the year in the SEC play and was plus six in rebounding margin, you know, in SEC games until LSU the other night. And and Texas A&M is a great rebounding team. That's they what are. they do. That's what they do. Yes. I mean, and and so I'm. I, I'm not ready to say Tennessee's a terrible rebounded team. I mean, for me, it's and, and me and you and Grant you know, were swapping text about it on Super Bowl Sunday. Josiah and Santi, somebody's got to show up. Not both of them every night, but one of those two guys has to give you something when you play a good team offensively. And I, I know you can contribute to your team winning without scoring a point. Blah blah blah. It's great. We all get it. You got to make some baskets. You know. Two of those guys, two guys who have been in your program for five years, have got to score 10, 12 points against the good teams on your schedule. It can't be Zakai and, and Dalton, and, and you hope that's one of the nights where, where Jonas Adu scores 15 or 16. The two guys that have played more basketball games than anybody in your program have got to show up and, and give you something offensively. And that's that's me. I just, I, I don't think, you know, the rebounder was bad this week. I, I, I don't think it's been a problem. And man, they, they've just been so good defensively. You know, since Rick's been here, I mean, I, I think that was more of a Texas A&M thing. They've got two really good guards offensively in, in Radford and and and, and Taylor. I, I don't think a lot of teams can do that to Tennessee. What what they did. All right, Grant. Before you jump in here, let me throw this one in there too. Tennessee's challenges in low possession games versus high possession games. Add that into the equation. How do you answer that? Plus the other things I mentioned. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird because Tennessee has traditionally been that kind of Rick has always said he wants to run and go and transition all that stuff, but it just hasn't played out that way for some of his previous teams. And and they've been the physical team that's going to out-tough people and uh, turn it into a boxing match and stuff like that. And now it feels like that's being used against them where they struggled in the first half at Vanderbilt, a low-possession team. They got whipped by South Carolina, a low-possession team, and kind of drug them into the mud and, and made them play their game. Um, so they're going to have to figure out ways to adjust to that. And and, and I think it comes down to you got to hit shots. I mean, Jonas Adu's got to be better than he's been recently. Uh, he's got better touch than he showed at, at Texas A&M and, and maybe the last couple of weeks he's a guy that can score the basketball. We've seen it. He's got to be better. Uh, you got to get something more from Jonas and Tobey Walker down low because those are your two big big men. They got to give you more minutes, more production, stay out of foul trouble. I think Jonas had six and five at halftime Saturday night, and he had six and five at the end of the game. Like you got to get more from those guys. Um, you got to get something somewhat consistent from Josiah and Santi, like Rob was talking about. And you can't have Zakai Ziegler go one for eight from the three point line. Like you just can't have all that stuff happen at once it, when it does that turns into your most lopsided loss your most uncompetitive loss i guess of the season at texas a&m so uh, it's it's a lot of things that go into it i think the biggest thing for me is jones they just got to do a little bit more and they just got to hit shots they got they got to have more than just dalton connect show up and hit shots and not that dalton did all that much for the first 35 minutes or whatever texas a&m saturday night but they got to have more around him more consistently I know I speak for you two, Robin Grant, when I just cannot wait for the 9 o'clock Eastern time tip on, on Wednesday. Grant, Valentine's Day, baby. Valentine's Day, I'm going to be taping my eyelids open, um, all that stuff, pouring a pot of coffee. It's going to be great. Rob, quick scout on Arkansas. What's Tennessee got to do to pick up a win on the road? Oh, man, I mean, they're, they're, they're all over the place. I watched the no. game against Georgia, I mean, uh, on Saturday, you know, waiting for – I mean, they they have some guys. They have some experience. You know, you, you, Debo is is back with the team, which is you know gives them a, a veteran uh, that they needed. But man, that that thing is that program. I mean, they've been all over the board this year. I mean, that, I, I I like Tennessee's chances partly because I, I think when they play badly, they 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 generally you know do a good job of bouncing back. And and Arkansas to me that they've just been so up and down all over that they're not they don't shoot it great at all. From, from from distance, but you know, then again, neither did Texas A and M, and Tennessee cured that for him. But anyway, I like Tennessee to bounce back on the road. But man, you, you just can't take anything for granted when you go away from home. Nine o'clock Eastern Time tip Wednesday night coverage right here Tennessee at Arkansas at VolQuest.com. Coverage at Tennessee, the state of Tennessee against the NCAA. The courts. Uh, hearing is this morning. Brett Hubbs will be on site and they'll bring you coverage over VolQuest.com. Baseball season starting this weekend. Got plenty of previews up there as well. The porch is coming back on Thursday too. Uh, Joe Kim Dotson, the latest Tennessee 2025 commit. Maybe there's some more on the way. Where does the other in-state wide receivers uh, have Tennessee right now? We'll discuss all that and more as we continue on. Uh, moving along over at VolQuest.com. For Grant Ramey, Brent Hubbs. And uh, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. Big thanks, as always, to our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions, 865-524-5888, exteriorhomesolutions.com. If you need roofing, siding, windows, or garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. Appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning in and listening to us right here on the VolQuest Podcast. been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.